0: We believe that uh, God, first of all, he created you. He's breathing life into you now to sustain you and that he has a plan for your life. And the major one is that you put your faith in him so that you can be reconciled to God and have a cool relationship. So that's what it's all about. It's not religion, it's not rules, regulations. It's putting your faith in Jesus he loved enough to go to the cross to pay for your sin, my sin, debt in full. There's nothing we can ever do to earn God's love because, man, he loves us to the max. So, so uh, that's what it's all about. And uh, as you hear God's word this morning, uh, we believe that the Spirit of God is speaking to us if we let him, and uh, he'll point us into the direction of Jesus Christ. And that's what's most important. What Bill was talking about <clears throat> with the Helps Ministry, uh, I was thinking, you know, he, he said we we're helping people, we we're having fun. I, I thought of uh, Life Church's mission statement that we love God, we love people, we love life. Yeah. And as a follower of Christ, friends, if you're not fired up, you know, if you're not happy, full of joy uh, in this relationship that's overflowing, in every area of your life, um, that's a bad testimony for those watching you. You say you're a follower of Christ and you're not fired up, you know? You're not enjoying life? We should enjoy life because Jesus is walking us through it with us. We're not alone. We're not trying to work harder or try to figure things out. We know that God is living inside of us. And how amazing that is. As an individual, as a created person by the hand of Almighty God. So um, that's what it's all about. You've got your outline. You should. Those of you online, pull it up on the Life Church webpage, uh, Facebook page. And um, we're continuing in the book of Daniel. When I was growing up, um, we used to watch Daniel Boone on television. Daniel Boone was a man. You have to Google the lyrics on that. (laughs) It's been a while. Um, But we're talking about a Daniel back 2,500 years ago. That made a difference in his culture. And... um, I think that's a that's a very neat thing that we can have God's word and bring it to uh, where we live today to make a difference. Josh McDowell. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him. Um, he has written over 150 books, uh, more than a carpenter. Um, um, evidence that demands a verdict. You can see. Uh, hi, Josh. By the way, good to see you. Uh, uh, the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, if you're uh, digging in with your faith, you've got questions. Josh grew up in a family. His dad was an alcoholic. Amongst other things, he really had a rough life, um, had an identity problem because of that broken relationship with his dad. And um, he was in college writing a paper. He was going to, as an agnostic, he was going to disprove. Uh, the faith of Christianity. And while he was doing his homework, he realized, you know what, there's so much evidence here, I can't deny the fact that there is a God, that he sent his son Jesus to the cross, who died for our sins. And it was then that Josh put his faith in Jesus Christ. Evidence that demands a verdict. And because of that topic, Josh was a speaker throughout uh, universities in America. And uh, Kenny Luck, who um, attended UCLA years ago, was asked to be um, kind of the front man, the advance man for Josh when he was coming into a university. They had a, a lot of preparation. They would get the largest venue on campus. They would meet with students and faculty who were supporting this outreach, and um, Josh was known for uh, his his historical viability, the accuracy of the Bible, and the defense of historical Christianity. And he was also known as a man who loved Jesus Christ, and he was serious about that. So as an advanced man to Josh's college lecture at UCLA, Kenny would take um, off for the university ahead of the engagement, meeting with the student groups and the faculty. And uh, it would be a two-day event on campus. Um, And so in the process, Kenny started looking over the, the manual, the advanced manual that he had to present to the faculty and students, what the expectations were in bringing Josh to their campuses. So this is what he came across regarding some of the um, moral boundaries related to Josh McDowell's visit to the campus. Here's a few. A male assistant had to occupy the room next to Josh's. Anyone picking him up or dropping him off at the airport had to be a male. Meals and deliveries for Josh had to be deposited at his assistant's room, not Josh's hotel room. Josh was never allowed to be alone with or counsel in a private setting with a woman. And so Kenny realized, um, uh, you know, in, in presenting this to the faculty and staff, he got some weird looks, you know, in the process. Like, dude, what's, what's this all about? Uh, and, and Kenny would say, you know, there's no wiggle room on these um, items, on these boundaries. And so as Kenny covered each of the stipulations on the speaking contract, um, um, yeah, there were some things that would be inconvenient, and some things, most of these things were non-negotiable. So Kenny wondered what all these rules were all about. And um, so he finally met up with Josh, and he asked him, hey, what's, what's the deal here? What's the meaning behind all these guidelines that you put out? And Josh said, Kenny, I never want to hurt the cause of Christ. And those rules are in place to help ensure that I don't embarrass the cause of Christ morally. And Kenny asked Josh how he came up with these guidelines. And Josh replied, another man shared with me the need for them and how they had helped him over the years. And Kenny asked him, who is the man? And he said, Billy Graham. Two men who would be considered spiritual giants, you know, in the culture, they felt the need to put boundaries around their lives to protect themselves and protect the reputation of God and His kingdom. So instead of thinking, you know, that they were above temptation, you know, they've lived long enough, they got it all figured out, these men of God planned for it. They made arrangements. They put boundaries around their lives, and um, I think that's something that we too can learn. We look at um, how Daniel had built boundaries around his life when he was living in Jerusalem, and those boundaries he carried all the way over to Babylon years later. And so as people of God, friends, if you put your faith in Christ, you're a follower of Christ, it is advantageous to have predetermined boundaries that will help you and I fulfill the call that God has on our lives. In order to do that, um, predetermine. In other words, you don't wait till you're in the middle of a temptation, the middle of a crisis, that you try to figure it out. (laughs) You're going to get run over. And from experience, uh, we need to establish lines in the sand that we will simply say, we're not going to cross them. We want to honor the Lord in everything that we do. Proverbs 19.16 in the message says, keep the rules and keep your life. Careless living kills. We're finding that out in our culture. Careless living kills, right? Yeah. And so when we deal with life issues ahead of time, we take the pressure off of ourselves. We are clarifying our convictions. We steal our core from the inside. So an example, I have um, committed to reading the Bible, you know, having time with God every single day. That's a rhythm in my life. That's a boundary. That's something I've put around my life. And, um, That predetermined path uh, is a fence that protects me. And we've got boundaries, all kinds of boundaries that we we, uh, set into our lives on purpose so that we don't have to stop and think about it because we've created a habit, a daily habit, and it's automatic. And so when something comes up that's trying to trip you up, boom, boom. You've got a boundary around your life. And Daniel did that, and we need to do that in our culture. So establishing boundaries is a discipline. and Discipline's become a dirty word, hasn't it? You know, we want it easy, man. We want easy street. We don't want to make life any harder than it is. Oswald Chambers once said, Impulse is all right in a child, but it is disastrous in a man. Impulse has to be trained into intuition by discipline. And Oswald Chambers, being a man of God, had learned that. We have to put a governor on our lives to keep us steady with the Lord one day at a time. So exiled, this is not my home. And we've talked about this, Philippians 3.20. We are citizens of heaven, friends. I think we can just take a, take a peek this past week, man, shooting stuff out of the air, huh, over our country. You know, it's making people nervous. But when you know that this is not your home, stuff like that's going to happen, right? We shouldn't be surprised. And so we're looking to heaven. Heaven. That's our home. And so as we live on this planet, right here, right now, we will live our lives with boundaries around ourselves, and we are committed to representing the cause of Jesus Christ to the best of our ability through the power of his Holy Spirit. Right? So <clears throat> how, do we, how do we live in this day and age? Well, Daniel gave us a pretty good model. Living in Babylon for 70 years, and the cool thing is, not only did he live there, but he wrote a manual on how to live and how to respond in a culture that is totally pagan and literally off the rails. And so we are grateful this morning that we can thrive in exile, not just survive. And if you're committed to surviving in your Christian walk, you're not going to make it. Surviving is not the cause that Jesus Christ has on your life. He wants you to thrive. Why? Because you have the kingdom of heaven living inside of you. It is God working in you right now. Right now. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases the Lord. That's God, man. And he's working in you. It's <laughs> so... It's not you have, you know, get up in the morning, man, I got to try harder, you know. (laughs) No, no, no. You let Jesus live his life in and through you. Give him permission. Every area. No bars hold. So let's look at Daniel chapter one, starting in verse one. And this all comes down to the choice is up to you and it's up to me on how we're going to live our lives. We can choose to, you know, just survive, put it in survival mode, or we can choose to live uh, a life that's thriving for God's kingdom. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. You see, that's a small g. It's not the true God. It's a phony baloney God. There's only one true God. Every other God is small g. Phony balonies. There's a lot of them running around out there, by the way. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were four of the young men chosen all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Ananias was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself. Have you done that in your life? Have you drawn a line in the sand in your life, to be determined that you will not waver in your walk with Jesus Christ. Friends, we have to be determined in these days. And that is setting boundaries in your life ahead of time. You're determined to finish the course, the race, strong. May God help us. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And as we look at Daniel's example, what a good reminder, Lord. What a good picture, model that we can go after. And how he ran after you, followed you. He was determined, Lord, to represent you well in a culture that was so anti-God. Lord, we want to do the same thing. We want to be determined to follow you one day at a time. We want to finish this race strong. And Lord, we want to thrive in this culture. We just don't want to survive. And that's why we need your help. And you faithfully give it to us. So we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, real quick, walking through a a review here. Number one intro, flares in the air, Jeremiah. We back up to Jeremiah 25. Um, Jeremiah, the prophet, had been speaking to the nation of Israel for the past 23 years. From the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until now, the Lord has been giving me his messages. I have faithfully passed them on to you, but you Have not listened. You might identify with the nation of Israel this morning because God is speaking, friends. He speaks through His Word. At times He speaks through circumstances. Why? Because He loves you. He's coming after you because of His great love. But we see that the nation of Israel for 23 years, year after year, think about that, 23 years flares in the air for the nation to come back to God. And they kept saying, no, we're not interested. We like these phony baloney gods that are running around in, an, in our neighborhoods around us. And what a pity that was. And so we see that Daniel, uh, the book begins back in 605 BC when Babylon was a world power. And we look at Daniel and his buddies. They were probably 15, 16 years old at the time. And you would think, man, how could a a teenager survive in a culture that is so anti-God? What's the trick? What's the secret? I think there's parents here this morning that would say, hey, man, I need help with my children. How can they thrive in this culture that is so, so much against their creator God? Well, We'll go to that in just a moment. Valentine's Day is Tuesday. This might be a, a flare in the air for some of you out there. You forgot about it. That's why I'm bringing it up so you don't forget. <clears throat> Marriages don't fall apart. They drift apart. Our relationship with the Lord doesn't fall apart it drifts apart. It's a slow drift. And the question is how intentional have I been with my marriage lately? It's a good question. Have I been intentional? Investing in it? And you want to be alone if you said not very. And the tough reality is that marriage is re- rarely lost at br- an abrupt moment. It's what happened earlier, you know. That drift, that slow drip in a marriage, puts distance between you and your spouse. And before you know it, you're feeling less like soulmates and more like roommates. It's true. No one's ever going to change that reality, and it's up to you. You, being in that marriage, you have to make an investment in it. It's up to you. In Ephesians 5, it says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Verse 29, no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. When you stop and think about the church, out of all the potential symbols, or pictures that God could have chosen to represent his love for the church. He chose a relationship between a man and a woman, a marriage, where they promised a covenant to each other that they would love each other in the good times and the bad times. And it grieves me when you read and you see people who say they're followers of Jesus Christ that do not make an investment in the church. Because when you look at how a man should love his wife just as Christ loved the church, what did Christ do? He gave his life for the church, right? Why? Because he wanted to present her as holy and without blemish one day when we stand before God. And how people can just poo-poo going to church. You know, I can do church on my own. I can can do it, you know, in the privacy of my own home. Instead of investing and coming together in that body of Christ. Just think how Jesus must feel, man. When he paid for the church with his life, And our culture today is drifting away from coming together, you know, on Sundays. What a celebration it is, man. We can come together as the body of Christ, his bride. He is the bridegroom. And so, yes, Valentine's Day is Tuesday. And gentlemen, I don't want to make this as, you know, complicated, but in a very simple way. As a man, that word divorce should be vacuumed out of your brain and vocabulary. That should never be an option. You close the door on that. Our culture today is saying, and you know, there's many of you divorced today, and I'm not, hey, this is not pounding a, a nail into the wood here. But we're in the relationship you're in right now. That should should be foreign to you. Because you made a promise to God until death do us part. Right? And so as a man, you love your wife. And that's where you say, Lord, help me love my wife the way you love your church. I want to model that. I need your help to do that well. And so as a man, I'm talking to the men right now, that's your responsibility. And I believe that when a wife sees her husband love her and model that well, not perfect, no, nobody's perfect, but we do, we model Christ as best we can to our spouse. We serve her. Our kids see us serving our wife. I'm telling you, man, it breathes life into a family relationship. Let God be glorified. Let him be honored on this Valentine's Day. That we are committed to love our our wives as Christ loves the church. And so, what's this all about? Well, what it's all about Barna says that the alarming fast decline of moral foundations among young people has culminated in a one-word word, worldview, and that is whatever. Whatever. The result is a mentality that esteems pluralism, relativism, tolerance, and diversity without critical reflection of the implications of particular views and actions. Listen. With, with social media today, we're all worked up on what people think about what I have to think and what I have to say. Listen, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think or say. What matters is what God says about it. That's what matters. And that's why we need to be staying in God's word to stay true to what he thinks about issues, what he thinks about life. And so how grateful we are that God's given us his word that we can follow true to him. Our goal, by the way, is not drawing a line in the sand where it's us against them. You know, Daniel didn't do that. He didn't draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? I'm more holy than everybody else in Babylon, and it's and it's us four and no more. We're holy, Nebuchadnezzar is not. And we're going to create a scene in this city, man, for the cause of Christ. Daniel did not do that. It's not us against them. And it's easy to fall into that mindset in our culture today. It's us against them. Daniel instead built bridges where he can reflect the character of Almighty God to a king and to a culture. That was so anti God I want friend, we need to encourage each other at life church that it 's not us against the world. God has put us in this world, as Bill mentioned. We are to carry the love of Christ wherever we go. That was the mission Daniel had, and that is the mission that we need to have and so Daniel did that well, and two, God did it in verses one and two, we see that daniel. Um, Realized that it was God that allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come marching into into Jerusalem to take stuff out of the temple and bring it back to Babylon. God was in it. God is sovereign. But Daniel also realized that we're not puppets on a string. Yes, God is sovereign, but God has given you and I the freedom to make decisions and choices. Right? He has. And so, um, even though Daniel got, you could say, His life fell apart when Nebuchadnezzar came crashing into Jerusalem because Daniel had a great future in front of him. And it was robbed. It was stolen from him. But you don't have Daniel sitting on the sidelines, pointing his finger at God and saying, God, where were you? I've been living for you. I've been honoring you with my life. I put boundaries around my life. This isn't right. Daniel doesn't do that he realizes that God is a God of history. He was in history, he's making history. And he will be (laughs) looking to the future. Friends, when we go to heaven one day, we will live with him forever and ever. That's future. We have that to look forward to. And so we can choose how we live our lives. We can Choose to live within God's will or we can live outside of God's will. That's a choice. God is not pulling strings on how we live our lives. That decision's up to you and me. Three, surrounded by evil. Verses three through seven, the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men. That's Daniel and his buddies. When you look at it, what Daniel had to deal with, we really don't have much to complain about, do we, in 2023? Yes, things are changing rapidly, but God is faithful. He was faithful to Daniel in Babylon. He is faithful to you in 2023. And it's never been easy to live a godly life. Have you noticed that? Yeah, there's a price you pay. The pressures, the challenges, Daniel faced them back then. We're facing them today as well. And so when you think of the first century believers in the New Testament, what they went through, the persecution, you read through the book of Acts, how persecution moved the church all around the world at that time where the gospel was able to get out. That's why you and I are sitting here this morning. I'm standing, you're sitting. I'm sitting too. Hey, God is doing a good thing in our lives. And um, take a look at the 50 countries in the world where it's most dangerous to follow Jesus. 50 countries. And the United States is not under that list. Afghanistan, North Korea, Pakistan, India, on and on and on. Friends, we're living in the United States. What a gift that is. May we flourish. We can come to church. We can bring our Bibles. We can pray. We have that freedom. Let's take full advantage of it. And that's why Daniel's story is so, man, it's so powerful. That even though he was surrounded by evil, he was faithful in his walk with God. Number one, brainwashed, select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men make them well-versed in every branch of learning, gifted with knowledge and good judgment. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. So Babylon, was—was was, uh, their motivation was to change the known world of that day as a world power, to have every other, everybody else think the way they think and the way they thought. Their core values would be pushed on everybody else in the world. That was their agenda. That's why they brought in these young men to to brainwash them. And we see in the message in verse 4, indoctrinate them in the Babylonian language and the lore of magic and fortune-telling. And this new system of thinking was forced on Daniel and his buddies. In the same way, our culture today is trying to brainwash us away from our core values and following after Jesus Christ. We see it. We recognize it. We put boundaries around our lives. We pre-plan on how we'll respond in situations. And we're not taken by surprise. Babylon was known for its demonic influences. I believe we're seeing that in our country today as well. There is demonic influence. So what are we going to do about it? State-sponsored religion, you know, that honored Satan back in the day. The core curriculum in their schools included a large dose of astrology and the occult. That's what Daniel and his friends were learning. So what were they going to do about it? They predetermined that that learning would not influence their core values and their faith in Almighty God. They predetermined that. And so, (laughs) what you find out, Daniel, when he writes this, he doesn't say, hey, the three buddies of mine and I, we, we skipped literature class today. Yeah, we didn't want to go to class, man. We went to the beach instead. He, does, he doesn't talk about that. They went to class. They were faithful. And just like a soldier who goes to battle, you know, what's, what do they do? They prepare for battle on the front lines. They're trained for that. And so we, we Christians, as followers of Christ, we have to take seriously our preparation to pursue holiness. That's what Daniel did, man. He pursued holiness in an anti-God culture. And so if Daniel was 16 years old in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, which verse one talks about, that was 606 BC. That means that he was born in 622 BC. What does that mean? Something happened in that year. Well, Josiah came on the scene. He became king of Israel when he was eight years old. He opened the doors of the temple of the Lord that had been shut by his grandfather Manasseh. And so King Josiah was the first good man to sit on the throne in 57 years. It's a long time. Let's take a look at Josiah. What's going on when this was around Daniel's time? 2 Kings 22. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Eliza, grandson of Moshulam, the court secretary, to the temple of the Lord. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. He was fired up. We found the Bible. Shaphan also told the king, verse 10, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. How cool is that? Going down to chapter 23, verse 2, there the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king, Josiah, read it out loud. The t- king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all of his commands, laws, and decrees with all of his heart and soul. Later on in that verse, and all the people pledged themselves to the covenant as well. Josiah, when he heard God's word, man, it ripped him to the core, realizing that he was not living his life in a way that had been honoring to the Lord. Plus, the nation of Israel had been drifting away from God. And so he asked God for forgiveness. And he read God's word to the the nation. And when they heard that, the people's eyes were opened to the things of God. And there was a spiritual renewal taking place in that nation, friends. Josiah destroyed the idols of all these false gods, these altars. He reinstated Passover. The nation was fired up under for God, man. And Daniel was part of that spiritual renewal as a young boy. The church was was alive. It was thriving. People were hungry for God. They were seeking God. They wanted to live for God. Daniel was part of that. That's where his training came from. And so, Josiah, when he was 18 years old inside the temple, the priest had discovered the Word of God. Sometimes, you know what? We need to rediscover God's Word. You know, some of you have left your Bibles on the shelf for too long, right? How's your Bible reading plan going, man? We're, we're almost halfway through February, huh? It's a good reminder. If, if you've let it drift, pick it up, get back into that rhythm again. Just like God's Word fired up Israel back then, I'm telling you, man, you read God's Word, whew, It's good. It's good. So the priest began teaching God's word to the people, and spiritual renewal began to ripple across Israel. Daniel grew up in a living, vibrant church in that day that was devoted to God's word. And can I tell you, man, I am so grateful for the volunteers and staff at Life Church who teach the truth about God's word. We don't dilute it. We don't water it down. We don't say it's not relevant for today, friends. What a privilege it is to come into this place and know you're going to hear the truth, right? Yeah. And that's what's going on in Israel back then. And so we don't know much about Daniel's parents. He doesn't give us any background really about them, but we kind of get a picture of what they were all about because they named Daniel, Daniel, which means God is my judge. That's just something about the parents. God is my judge. Kind of gives a, a small glimpse of the high view that they had of God, and they wanted to pass that on to their son. It's kind of like his parents are saying, hey, Daniel, You're not always going to have to give an account to us as your parents. There's coming a day when you will have to give an account to your great God. Yep. He made the heavens and the earth, the seas, and everything in it. They recognize that. He's watching over you. He's always going to watch over you because of his great love. He knows what you think. He sees you. He loves you. He alone is your judge, so you live your life in accordance to that fact that God is your judge. And they released Daniel. Did they follow him into Babylon? No, they didn't. Did they follow him into the classroom? No, they didn't. They had trained Daniel so well in the things of God that he was able to keep his faith, even Going through this brainwashing, he was able to keep his eyes on the Lord. When we look at God is my judge, Philippians 2.9, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, either you do it now, or when you stand before the white throne judgment and your name is not in the book of life, every person is going to bow their knee and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. We were able to do that this morning during worship. He's worthy. He's holy. He's mighty. He's God, the only true God. And we get to live for him. And he lives through us. What a gift that is. And Daniel recognized that. Man. And we see in Psalm 127, four children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. And you look at the arrows, friends. We have have parents here today that are shooting arrows into the air. And you want those arrows to count for all of eternity, don't you? That means you've got to invest in your sons and daughters to train them in the things of God. Just like Daniel's parents did. Were they expecting their son Daniel to be hijacked when he was 16 years old? I don't think so. I think they might have had a, uh, you know, a thought about it. It could happen. But how do you think they felt when they, Nebuchadnezzar came in, took their son away? We leave him in the hands of God. It's the best place we can do it. And so as parents, we have 18 to 20 years, man, to influence the lives of our kids, right? And then we have to let them go. I just want to encourage you moms and dads today, introduce your sons and daughters to the great God, the personal God who loves them. May they see Christ living in you and they see your example and want to follow. So, real quick, Daniel's parents taught him core values on how to live by. These are core values that you and I can live by today. First one is worship, placing our worth and value on God. Colossians 1.15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. Is that up for debate? Huh? I mean, do you have to wonder? I wonder if God created everything. All you have to do is read through the Bible and you hear this from Genesis all the way through Revelation. God created the heavens and the earth. He created the seas and everything in them. Boom, it's done. It's a boundary. We can settle on that. You don't have to stay up night, waking up at 3.29 in the morning. I wonder if God created everything. I wonder if I came out of a swamp somewhere. No, you could sleep well. God created you. And it's settled. It's a settled thing, man. Man, we worship God. We embrace his attributes. It's why, hey, if God is God and he's the creator of everything, don't you think he gets fired up when we worship him? You know, not a mediocre volume, but I mean, pushing it, giving it. You're putting that on the altar. It's a sacrifice. (laughs) Some of you may think, man, my voice is a sacrifice. You know, these poor people are going to have to suffer through it. Listen, listen. God created that voice, let it rip. Let it rip, man. There is something about worshiping God and letting it rip and roar from your inner core. It's an overflow. So the second thing is God's word. We know that Daniel, God's word, placing worth and value on the Bible, believing that it's infallible. 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. You know, there's stuff wrong in my life, and I'm so glad when I read the Bible, it shows me stuff I need to work on, I need to ask God to forgive me for. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad there's not a, a finished sign that you walk around, you know, you're so spiritual and holy? God signed off on you? (laughs) He put you in a museum somewhere? No, 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 no. no. He's working on us. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This morning, we're grateful for God working in our lives. As he worked in Daniel's life, friends, he's working in your life. A 400-year-old redwood suddenly toppled to the floor in Northern California. And the question was, man, this massive redwood, how could this thing just fall out of nowhere? Was it a fire? Was it lightning? A strong wind? When the specialists drilled down into that redwood, they found that tiny beetles. It worked their way under the bark and literally eaten away the fibers away from everything on the inside. So, on the outside, this redwood looks strong and healthy, but it collapsed because these beetles ate away everything on the inside of that tree. So, it couldn't stand. It was hollow. That can happen so easily in our culture today where we drift and the little beetles get inside, we let them come inside and talk you and me out of what the bible has to say on how we should live our lives friends we need to stop drifting and start allowing our roots to go down deep into god's love because it's there that we're made complete so father thank you this morning for your goodness your faithfulness and we're lord we're we're excited to know that even in a culture that we're living in today, that we can stand for you with boldness because we have pre-decided, we have put boundaries around our lives, that we will live a life that is honoring to you. Compromise is not welcome. And so we thank you, Lord, for the good work that you're doing in the lives of your people. We trust you, Lord, to continue to do that work. As we love God, we love people and we love life because we're loving life because you're walking us through day by day. Lord, we want to be faithful to you in all that we do. And you might be here this morning. You feel like that redwood tree, man. You're hollowed out on the inside. Jesus wants to make you whole this morning. So thank you, Lord, for going to the cross, for paying my sin debt in full. I'm a sinner. I recognize that sin will keep me away from a holy God. So forgive me. And today I'm putting my trust in you, knowing that you will forgive me. My name is in the book of life. And I'll live for you, Lord, for the rest of my life through the power of your spirit.